Mana 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 this is social disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. Hope you're well. My guest is a writer, an actor, and an improviser who's written for and appeared on such shows as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Connecting, and who co-hosts the excellent basketball podcast, The Flagrant Ones. Please welcome Mr. Carl Tart. Welcome. Hey, man. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. How are you doing? I'm all right. You know, taking it easy. Keeping it straight. Uh, I don't know what that means. Keeping it straight. <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm just. I'm taking it easy, man. I'm. I'm just chilling. That's good. Well, I know, but like keeping it straight just sounds like a thing where it's like, if you think about it for a second, it's like I don't know what that means, but I feel like that's good. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Keeping yeah, it straight. Just saying random good things, you know, listening to the music, <laughs> cooking the food, sleeping, waking up, taking the Tylenol. I don't know. You know, just doing random stuff. <laughs> The other day on Instagram, you cooked a key lime pie, was it? Oh, hell yeah. It looks so good. It was delicious. It was delicious. I was, I was really, uh, I've had key lime pie before, but it wasn't like a pie that I like grew up with and stuff. Yeah. And so I was just like, one of my friends on Instagram had made one and I was like, that looks good. I'm going to try it. And so I hit her up and was like, yo, can I get that recipe? And she sends it over and it's so easy. And all the ingredients are at my uh, local grocery store. And so I'm like, yeah, like. I made it, whipped it up. It was, and it was like baking is becoming like a, a good accomplishment food, like a, a good like thing that you can put out there and and say like, okay, I did this. Yeah. Like, and it turned out good because it can go wrong. Like I baked a mixed berry pie the other night and it didn't work. Like I still ate half of it, but it wasn't like <laughs> one that it, it's not one that you come back to Instagram with. You know what I mean? Yeah. I. You know, it's funny when it comes to baking. It's a thing where I find cooking like, very comforting. Yeah. It's kind of a thing where, I don't know, you have like a set of instructions. You feel as like you can accomplish something and you have something quantifiable, like theoretically good food to like to feel that sense of accomplishment. And it's like, oh, it feels good. I like checking a box off of like a task in my head. That for me goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's really soothing and really cool. With baking specifically too, I think like uh, it's that weird thing where... <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, like those cookies that I like? I could just make those myself. I don't have to wait to go to a place that just makes them for me. Yeah. Like, like my favorite cookies are oatmeal chocolate chip. And I don't think they're really that hard to make. Maybe good ones are hard to make. I don't know. But uh, I'm like, oh, I should just make those. That would be really nice. The one thing I haven't mastered about cookies is how not to make that bottom too crispy. Oh, that's You know tough. what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like you could leave it in there and then, you know, take it out too soon and then the cookie's not fully done. And it's like, that sounds good in theory. Like the cookie being real gooey, but if it just like falls apart, then it defeats the purpose. You know, I think I think for some reason, restaurant cookies just always kind of, I haven't mastered that yet. I think I should make up a batch of cookies. I like Trader Joe's white chocolate chip cranberry cookies. I'm not a, a big chocolate guy, ironic. Yeah. But I will eat certain chocolate things, but that white chocolate chip cranberry that they have, and it's an oatmeal, uh, it's an oatmeal cookie at Trader Joe's is so good. I think that's my favorite cookie. That sounds good. We just got a Trader Joe's here. I'm in Arkansas. Okay. And so like... What part? uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. So like just outside. I know you're from Mississippi and not that far away at all. Nah, you you, uh, a fan of UCB and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. I know Uh, Vester's from, from Little Rock and... Yeah. You know Jacob Womack? No, I feel like okay. I know that name, but I, no, I don't know. I'm sure you've heard him on pods and stuff. He's hilarious and great. Okay. He's out there right now. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I've, I've been to Mississippi a bunch too, and, you know, I feel like the South just very easily gets shit on, and it's kind of pretty lazy, like, because it's just, like, easy target some of the things. It's not like we're doing ourselves any favors in a lot of ways, but, man, Mississippi and Arkansas are beautiful states, and there is so much good food down here. I recommend people go all the time. People who, I, I, first of all, I'm really surprised at people who ain't never been to the South, and yeah. I go, and, and, you know, you get the, the stereotypes of the South, which have proven to be true in a lot of cases but also like you just got to check it out like so for me i am not the biggest fan of the east coast sorry east coast listeners <laughs> but the northeast specifically and yeah. it's just because it's just it feels so tight you know like, what i mean it's, yeah i love the history of it but it feels so tight and so old where we from you got big space and also here in la you got you know, you got decent amount of space here. You know, everything is really far away to get to and stuff. But <laughs> it's I, I like a, and, and it, both places are chill. So like, OK, what's the biggest, you know, people say about the South? Oh, everybody's racist. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of racist people. I can't deny that. I've, I've had but I had more racist experiences elsewhere than I have in Mississippi or in Los Angeles and stuff like that. I've had more here than I think I had back home because everybody back home is polite and nice, you know, in yeah. person. I don't know what they get online, get on Facebook. And do. I, I will say in terms of like the racism that exists in the South as opposed to anywhere, anywhere else. I'm not saying that there isn't more here. I, I'm, I, I do not know, but it's definitely minimally. It's more overt. Yeah, for sure. But that's not to say that there is racism hiding in a quieter place, oh, you know, yeah. up north or anywhere else. But it's unfortunately it's it's everywhere. But it's definitely uh, louder here. Yeah. What's your favorite uh, restaurant around there? Ooh, that's a good question. We have, you know, it's it's kind of like relative to our population density. We have deceptively a really good food scene here. I love Indian food, so there's a place here, Taste of India, and like Taj Mahal, and I eat there. When I can, it's just so good. And we have like Southern Fusion places and like an Argentinian place. And it's a really nice thing to have this kind of burgeoning food scene here because, uh, you know, not too far, well, like five hours from here, Nashville is just blowing up everywhere. So that, man, that talk about a place that's burgeoning. It feels like, you know, like Portland, Baguette, Austin, and now Austin, Baguette, Nashville. Like that place, that place is emerging. It feels like everybody's moving there. Yeah, a lot of people move to Nashville. I went to Nashville with Doughboys. And yeah. we had a good time, and uh, it it reminded me a lot of Portland. Honestly, it didn't feel too southern, except for like when you go to the honky talk or something like that. But if it, it, it gave me like a Pacific Northwest vibe, it felt like a Seattle or like a Nashville. I mean Nashville, like a <laughs> Portland type or even Austin type too. Like where you get that that vibe, you know what I mean? But I enjoyed yeah, I myself. Good food there too. It's a great town. Like I, I completely get why people would be moving there. You know, and yeah. and there's a lot of culture to be had there. Yeah. But uh, I was curious, what do you miss about Mississippi? Uh, I missed, well, I missed an idea of Mississippi, honestly. I've been out here for a long time, and I love it here in L.A. I uh, grew up here. I got great friends who have become, you know, pseudo family, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a great time here. At the same time, I'm, I, what I miss about Mississippi is, is my family unit as a whole, you know? Yeah. We just kind of ha- have spread out over the years, and... Uh, my grandma passed away. She was like the matriarch, you know, and once that mm-hmm. happened and then Hurricane Katrina happened a few years after that. And that just kind of separated everybody because people moved to other towns and stuff like that. A lot of family in Jacksonville, a lot of family in Houston, stuff like that. But when I go back home, it's like so relaxing. And the first four days, I'm just like sleeping great and being lazy and then getting up and doing stuff with my family that ain't lazy. Like 
going fishing and hunting with my dad or like yeah chopping down a tree or something or he, like he owns like a lot of property and so we'll he'll be like like he'll like make me get up and go like motor yard at one of his like big properties and i'm like <laughs> can i relax i'm on vacation <laughs> yeah it's uh well it's funny because i know that you're mississippi is just a beautiful state first of all but I know that you're also a Pelicans fan, and my dad was born and raised in New Orleans, so mm-hmm. I follow. I tend to follow uh, like the Saints and the Pelicans just for that feeling. I know that we, you know, Arkansas has a lot of people that are sports fans that don't have a pro team yeah. here, so we grapple on to the Razorbacks hardcore, and our season's always a, a roller coaster that's generally pointing downward, so it's all <laughs> pretty bad fast. It's not really a good time. It's always just like, oh, here we go. But then otherwise, it's a, it's predominantly a lot of Cowboys fans, and I'm not a Cowboys fan at all. Mm-hmm. The Pelicans are fun. I enjoy watching them, and I'm intru- I hope Zion stays healthy. That's all I want. Yeah, I hope he stays healthy, too. I know he's eating good in New Orleans, which I think is the <laughs> best food city in, a, in the world. It's incredible. Out, out of all of my travels, I go to New Orleans to eat any day of the week. Uh, now, well, let me clear something up, though, with the Pelicans yes. fanship, because this and you say you listen to the flagrant ones. I do. So a lot of people get mad uh, about how much we talk about the Clippers. Sure. And uh, that happens because we are all <laughs> Clipper fans. I'm sorry, but that's what you get. And uh, I want to clear up something about the Pelicans. So the Pelicans came to New Orleans as the Hornets in 2002. I had already lived in Los Angeles at that time for through four years. I had already lived here for four years. I had already gone to a pro basketball game. I had been to uh, multiple Clipper games and a couple Laker games at that point. And I was already a fan of the Clippers when they came. Now, here's my sports allegiance to New Orleans. I am from, I was born an hour and a half away from New Orleans, across the bridge in Pascagoula, Mississippi. I am a diehard Saints fan. I also love football the most, believe it or not. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Football is my favorite sport to watch. Basketball is my favorite sport to play. Football is my favorite sport to watch. Die hard, black and gold till I'm dead and cold. I love the Saints. That's the birth team. That's the team since the womb. I got pictures of me as a child in Saints onesies. My dad played for the Saints for a while. He also played for the Denver Broncos for a tiny bit. Now, with that being said, when the Hornets came to New Orleans, I was like, oh, dope. New Orleans got a basketball team. I'm going to support them too. And also, maybe they'll be better than the Clippers because up until that point, I had not experienced any good Clipper seasons. Besides the, you know, the the fun seasons, they were fun in, in 2000, 2001 with Quinn Richardson and Darius Miles and Lamar Odom and Elton Brand and those guys. That, that was a fun team, but they didn't win no games. And, you know, being out here, you I've been getting abused for being a Clipper fan my whole life. And so I was like, oh, dope. Well, now I got a second team to root for. Maybe these guys will come in and do something. And they haven't done anything yet either. Uh, in, what is it, 18 years they've been in New Orleans. But... It was really fun to have them there, and I wouldn't say I would say my allegiance to my basketball fandom is 75-25. 75 Clippers, 25 Hornets, Pelicans. So, like, any success the Pelicans have is a win for you. Yes. That's, like, fun fandom. It's like, oh, cool, New Orleans, this place that I know and love. Oh, that's cool that they have a team. I can watch that before, but, yeah, primarily it's Clippers. It's the Clippers, and when the Pelicans come here to play against the Clippers, I'm rooting for the Clippers. When they play against the Lakers, I'm rooting for the Pelicans. <laughs> but uh, the Pelicans are like, I'll, I I have the alert on my phone, but it's just harder to follow because I've been like, I think a lot of people don't understand. I've been invited into the Clipper family, you know? Yeah. So with, a, I am now closely with a portion of the organization, the media stuff. So 
this team, you know, this team has been kind of a part of my life. I played for the Junior Clippers when I was a kid. I I got taught post moves by uh, Michael Olo Candy, who wasn't a good player, but he was still an NBA player. Like I, remember, I can't imagine how big that dude is in person. He was huge, especially at that time because I was young. Yeah, good but like, it like the Clippers are just. I've been out here for so long that the Clippers have just become much more. I'm not like I've seen people make fun of like, why are these guys, the Clippers, why are these guys Clipper fans? These guys all come from other teams that the Lakers beat up on or whatever. Like Paul Shear was a Knicks fan and the boys are <laughs> Boston Celtics fans. The Lakers didn't really beat up on Boston. Let's be honest here. But it's hilarious to me that like, to your point in a recent podcast, you're like the, the fandom of Laker fans in LA to Clippers fans is like, it's like 85% to 15%. Yeah. You know, it's like no, it's like no comparison. It's obviously blatantly a Lakers town. And yet the Clippers who have had to put it lightly, a, a tumultuous history and only in relative recent history have had success, you know, quantifiable success and made a run at it. And yet they are shit on so much and I do not understand it. I don't get it, man. I don't get it. I think this sounds very conspiratorial, but I I think it has to be quantified like this. When I say Lakers driven media, Mm -hmm. I mean that and to say the Lakers are the most popular basketball team. There's no question about it. They have more fans than every other team. Because this is a huge market, and the Lakers are successful most of the time, more often than not. Wasn't it like in 80 seasons of the NBA or something, Lakers have been in like 34 finals, like half the finals or whatever, like something like that. But it, it was like, like this is a huge market. And believe it or not, even though the fanship here is pretty overwhelmingly lean towards Lakers, the Clippers are still the number two team in the number two market or number one market. I don't know if New York is a better is a bigger market than L.A., but the Clippers fan base is bigger than, say, the Indiana Pacers fan base. Like, yeah, the Indiana Pacers don't travel to another town and see half the gym wearing their jersey. You know, not not necessarily the Clippers do either, but the Lakers do. When the Lakers go to Utah, there's 40 percent of people in the audience are wearing Lakers jerseys. Well, the Clippers are a home team in their own home stadium. Yeah. (laughs) So which is wild. You know, it's it's interesting, but it's I love the team and I, everything, all those aspects about it make me gravitate towards it because it's like nothing is nothing is given. Everything's got to be earned. The only front runner team I support is the Dodgers, and they really have just won their first championship in 31 years, 32 years. So they're good. They've all they're always kind of there, but they haven't really won anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. except for this year. And so I'm still not even that's still not even real like front runner style, you know, like yeah. I just didn't want it when I moved here. I didn't want to support the Lakers. I didn't want I wanted to be like, I'm going to build with this team. And it's a it's a slow process. We are still on the first level of bricks, but it's coming because I, I was just talking. The reason why I support the Clippers, too, is is I've told this story before, but my uh, former stepdad, my brother's father is a huge Laker fan. And he was annoying to me as a child. I didn't. I just didn't like him. You know how you don't always take well to the step parent. Yeah, it's like yeah, you're not my dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and he was a bit, and he still messages me and trolls me about the Clippers Uh, to this day. He was just on my Instagram the other day, and he was, and he was like, "Uh, "Y'all need to focus on getting out of the second round." And I just stopped him for a second. I was like, "Hey, remember when that was? Y'all need to get to the playoffs. Now we are a perennial playoff team." Yeah, I do like the arrogance of of Lakers fans of. of like they didn't do shit for ten years and they they they're back now and 
because you've got LeBron and you had you know Anthony Davis who quit playing basically yeah. to force his way out. And now they're just like, aha! And you're like, yeah, let's just forget an, an entire decade. Yeah. And the audacity of Laker fans to not give LeBron the most credit in the world because what they don't realize and don't want to admit to is that the Lakers were the West Coast Knicks. Like, <laughs> yeah. bad ownership, going down the tubes, trash organization. And then LeBron came in and saved the whole thing and took him to a championship within two years. He knows what he's doing. He's the GOAT. He is. He's unbelievable. I... I always equate it when I think about LeBron. I think about if you're just somebody who's like just read about basketball your entire life, never seen it, just read about basketball. So you kind of like understand it, but you've never seen it. If you saw him, you'd be like, oh, that's a basketball player. That's what a basketball player looks like. Yeah. Like he is a true like, I feel like within the same generation, they say like 20 times, oh, this is a once in a generation player. Yeah. But truly on every conceivable level, he is once in a generation. It's unbelievable. Yeah. We are also living in a once in a generation time. I just was talking to another buddy about this uh, yesterday about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is, I think it's time to start rearranging people's top tens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's time for Kevin Durant to get in. I don't, He's a unicorn. I don't see anybody stopping him. He's also a pretty solid defender, just having the size that he has. You know, you can body him in the post and he won't be able to stop you. But as far as like on ball, like ISO defense, like Kevin Durant is kind of an unstoppable player. And he I don't, he doesn't get the respect totally because, A, nobody respects anybody these days. And also he made the move to Oakland, which I personally hated. And I felt like those were like some bad years of basketball because you just knew that it was going to be Cleveland versus Oakland in the finals for three, four years. And that was, that sucked. But we got to put some respect on KD's name. Also, apparently in real time, as we're recording this, uh, my phone is getting blown up by four different group chats of people being like, Kevin Durant is playing out of his mind right now. Okay, well, that makes me very happy because... I heard somebody describe Kevin Durant as like with how big he is and his shooting style. They said that like if worst case scenario he doesn't come back as one would expect because just how the catastrophic nature of what an Achilles injury is for a basketball player. That if he comes back to even like 10% less than what he was, his shooting is such that it's like foolproof. Yeah. Good player, that guy. That Kevin Durant is a good kid. (laughs) Did you see the video of Kyrie before the game tonight? Putting some sage out there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all about that life. I'm all about that, King. Different plane. Third eye. <laughs> I enjoyed it. He's very singular, and I think he's very entertaining, and I'm oh, curious what they're going to be like. I'm also just curious, like, it, it seems like James Harden is going to be shipped out. That seems to me kind of inevitable. But I'm just like, I wonder what Philadelphia would look like with them. I think that would be, I'd watch that. I just want to see it happen, honestly. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, it, they would be really good. I bet you Doc Rivers like gets to the finals with him with that with James Harden on that team <laughs> which would be a slap in the face but also I don't I'm not a fan of Joel Embiid just because I don't like his attitude as a troll but uh they that that would be a good squad James Harden added to that add some shooting what they're desperately needing and you know Tobias is there I like Thibault a lot Thibault Thibault yeah, might be traded for Harden oh, okay I think he would be included in that that would make sense. He's also got a great YouTube channel. He seems like a really cool, smart, nice guy. Wait, he likes to he likes to blog, don't he? Wasn't he doing a lot of blogging at the beginning of the uh, at the of the bubble? Yeah, and it's pretty. There, it's pretty interesting stuff too. I really liked it. Yeah. What do you think of the bubble experience in general? Uh, well, I think it was uh great and terrible at the same time. And this is you know, Clipper bias aside, I think just just player 
forward, I think it was I think it was a place where a person like LeBron will thrive. Yeah. And I think other it kind of it kind of showed his mental toughness superseding everybody else's. Because think about like TJ Warren was going for like fifty a night. The bubble was off. I don't yeah. think if the I don't think if COVID ever happened, Miami makes the finals this year. Like what was done in the West is is up in the air. It probably wouldn't have been too different. I do think Clippers had momentum coming out of All Star break, and that would could have driven us at least to the WCF. I'm not saying I never was saying the whole year that we were going to win a championship. I think I've I was hoping that we would, and I was like we have a chance because we definitely did have a chance. But the bubble I think screwed everything up, and I I just don't think it gave everybody like the opportunity to. Every, everything was so up in the air. But I feel like a player like LeBron can thrive in a situation like that where he's like, nah, it's coming back. I feel like LeBron is a good dude to like get stock advice from. Like I feel like he knows like this is what's about to happen. So LeBron was probably like, yo, everybody continue to wake, uh, work out. KCP, I need a 1,000 shots an hour. Like, <laughs> let's go. But also he was like providing the best food. Like he knew exactly what, what people needed yeah. in these different moments. I mean, just like... Again, he's just preternaturally incredible at every little thing and all the big things. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. He's incredible. And I I think on the opposite end of that, our guys just kind of floundered. I think it was more mental than anything. I hate how everybody comes down on Patrick Beverly for talking a little trash as if he's the only player in the NBA that talks trash. Yeah. Like, I think it's crazy. And that's what I meant by Lakers-driven media. It's like ESPN literally made a compilation of – Patrick Beverly talking trash. It's like, what's the point of this, man? Are y'all trying to blame the loss on this? Because that's, that's so not dumb. what that's not what the case is. That's so dumb. Like, why waste space with this? Like, why just make people hate this guy? What did he do? And the way that the way that the public's coming down on Paul George is just insane to me. Oh, it's ridiculous. And the way the backlash of like they signed him to a max contract. I mean, it's like shut the fuck up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like honestly, it's like to me when I saw that, I'm like, first of all, duh. Yeah, they're gonna sign that. Second of all. What else would you have them do? Because what? They're not going to sign him. They gave up a lot of things for him. I mean, you're going to do that either way. And also, he's worth every penny of it. He is. People, it's Paul George. People like, think he's a are slouch, you serious? Man. People think he's a yeah. slouch. And also, you'll never hear me say a bad word about Patrick Beverly. A, because I just love him. But B, he's also a, an Arkansas Razorback. There so. you go. I could have played at Arkansas with him. Can you believe that? That would have been cool as hell. Through a series of very lucky events, it could have been a Carl Tart, Patrick Beverly backcourt at the University of Arkansas. Was that Mike Anderson then? That was uh, Hempfield. Okay, okay. And his assistant, his name was Isaac Brown, and he played high school basketball with my dad. But unfortunately, he's he's also a Mississippi boy. He's from Pascagoula, so of course, you know. But uh, I called him. We exchanged some emails after I had left my college and uh was like hey can i come out there and just like be a practice squad guy and work my way up yeah he was like send me tape and then get some coach recommendations and all i had was high school tape really and he was just like i can't do it man like there's no we got no room for it and i was like i'll pay my own way (laughs) i was i was hoping that nepotism could play a part in i was just i was just trying to be a practice dummy honestly and just to say like right now i play for the arkansas razorbacks in basketball (laughs) The home of Sidney Moncrief yeah. and Corliss Williamson. Did you listen to that episode of Improv for Humans where I got to interview Sidney Moncrief? Oh, no. I completely missed that. I didn't yeah. realize that happened. So, you know, of course, Matt is a huge Razorback fan. Yeah, his daughter's yeah. named after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we talked about a lot. So there was an episode of, of Improv for Humans. I believe it was me, Sean Cowhig, Andy Daly, and Sidney Moncrief. Oh, that's so cool. Great improviser, Sidney Moncrief. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> 
Cindy Moncrief, who used to own Moncrief GMC down here. Tight. <laughs> uh, I did want to ask you, too. I know that you're currently the, I don't know what the phrasing is, point person, something to that effect, on Kenan Thompson's show right now. I know you all are filming. You know, you'd written on it before COVID, then it was delayed, and now they're shooting. Is that, that's correct, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the, uh, the on-set writer. On-set so, writer. Like, just punch up. And stuff like that you know if the scripts are already locked we wrote them so long ago but with times and changes and we wrote them to for the world we, we wrote them with the world being normal in mind yeah and uh it's not so you know there there comes times where jokes need to be changed lines need to be changed scenes need to be changed and i just run up to my office and do it real quick and bring it back down and talk to the showrunner about it and uh, the showrunners are jackie clark and david casp Jackie's a dope writer and hilarious improviser. She's old school UCB. And David Casp, you know him from like Black Monday. And, oh, nice. Okay. What's that show called? Black Friday. No, it's Black Monday. And Black Monday and <laughs> uh, Happy Endings, which is one of my favorites. That show's great. Oh, yeah. How has that been? I know that you know you worked on Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm-hmm. before this too, but how has that experience been outside of, I know that they have like different teams, you know, different color coded to mitigate just the risk of everybody contracting COVID and just yeah. being around each other too much. But how's that experience been being on just a set that is minimally like organized in a different way at different times? Yeah. Uh, so this podcast, you were wondering how I'm doing during COVID. Yes, sir. Uh, I'll tell you this. I needed this job and uh, not financially or anything like that. Uh, that sounds like I'm also being braggadocious about money. Don't don't think it, I need the money too, but I also needed this job for mental like health. Cause yeah. the week I got the job, we had gone. The week I got called by Jackie and she said, "Hey, would you want to do this?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" I was gonna I was gonna ride out the rest of the year just kicking it, playing golf, playing tennis with the boys. Got my little pod of people, you know, like being safe, but also like you know living my life a little bit. And then they were like, it's getting bad in California. Everybody's been saying, they're saying today that one in 80 people have it. And also like California is now the epicenter, kind of like how New York was at the beginning of it, how Italy was in little, like now California is that. So that's annoying, but I needed this because I, it, it gives me a reason to get up every day and have something to do. Like having that call time, getting to go on set is still exciting to me. It never gets old. And now is an even more important time for me to do it. I get to put on all the new shoes that I bought during quarantine. I wear them now. People go, damn, them shoes are tight. And I go, I know. <laughs> thank like, you. Thank you. Finally. <laughs> I, they, were, they, they were just sitting in my living room collecting dust because there was nowhere to wear them. And I wasn't going to put them on and go to the grocery store or anything like that. <laughs> You're like, look, I know they're nice, but I need other people to know that, that they're nice. Exactly. And so now I'm on set, <laughs> get complimented on the shoes. You know, I'm there with people who I know and like and love. We all masked up and shielded up the whole time, which is annoying because you just want to like whisper to somebody and talk talk <laughs> a little shit, and you can't because you can't whisper in those damn shields. But there's nothing subtle about a mask or a shield, both in the look, but also in your ability to communicate. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, something could be said. You can't be underestimated. Like what it is to have and need a purpose and to have something to work toward and something to focus on, you know, in a way that just allow you to, to let all this shit process in the background instead of just, you know, obsessing over it. Cause it's very easy to obsess over something that's so like seismic and scary and unfathomable. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a tough go, man. I was having a tough go. And then, Oh, I didn't, I don't think I actually said this, but the week I got the job, yeah, we went back on a strict lockdown, meaning like outdoor dining was stopped. 
and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Like stuff that just I didn't necessarily do it a ton. I did go to a couple restaurants every now and then. If they looked safe, I wasn't going out to like packed places because you know, like bars were doing like we got a tent in, in the street in front of us, and it was <laughs> popping, and nobody's wearing masks and stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't look terribly safe, but uh, I, so I was skipping those. But it was fun to like grab two or three friends, two or three other friends who are testing regularly and going to a restaurant that's like you know we went to this restaurant in West Hollywood is a seafood restaurant called Connie and Ted's, and they have a big ass parking lot, and all the tables were like. 12 feet apart oh, and nice. it was just a fun good night to sit there and have drinks and fellowship with friends it felt normal yeah it felt like a norm like it felt normal. everything that feels normal this, this time is so hard for everybody and there's so much online shaming of people who are doing things to try to cope with what they're you know like first of all i don't think it's anybody business what anybody else does you know what i mean i agree are people like is that me defending people who do clearly irresponsible stuff no not at all like my buddy matched with a match with a girl on on uh, Raya or Hinge or one of them, and she was like a a go go dancer at these underground parties here that we didn't even know about. We was like, oh, this is how this shit is spreading, because people are having <laughs> underground parties. And she was like, hey, you should come out one night. And he was like, nah. And then like the next week, she was like, yeah, I tested positive. And so I was like, oh, you God. think? But it, it, like yeah. that type of thing. Like I don't, I'm not defending that, but also. At the same time, everything is so unprecedented. Everything, True. nobody, like, and there are people who aren't able to work from home, who need to work their jobs, and who need to put themselves at risk. And there are also people who they could really be mentally, mentally done. And the only thing keeping them like seemingly sane is going over to a, a family member's house. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's you know, it's um, you gotta. It's like there are the two polarities of like don't do anything and then do everything, and n- neither are good in their own right. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like you got to find that relative middle ground, but you have to like obviously it's like you got to be smart. You got to take the proper precautions both for yourself and anybody else around you or anybody else you may encounter after yeah. that. Obviously, but both extremes are bad. Yeah, in their own right, you know. And I think if you're just like a thoughtful person and you kind of like lead with empathy and deride by yourself and others, you know, there's are ways. We have to adjust to some form of this new normal because, yeah. and which it, it sucks to say, but unfortunately that's the reality is this is what it is for the foreseeable future. And you can still have a percentage of what your life was before. You just have to be very smart about it. Exactly. Like, for example, on a Friday night, you can catch me in these streets in normal <laughs> life. I'm out yeah. here. We kicking it. Probably do an improv show. And then after that, it's time to drink my weight in whiskey. But <laughs> that ain't the case now. So how do I remedy that instead of being at home on a Friday night, which I, I will be tonight. I'm, I'm home tonight, but I got things to do tonight. Uh, I'm going to play some video games and watch some uh, hunting videos. But other than that, like I'll go pod up with my cousin who me and him are about to do a podcast. And uh, like we're both keeping it safe. We both are regularly tested. I'm tested every single day. Him and his girlfriend are also tested like every week or every other day. And they don't go anywhere otherwise because they got each other relationships are having either easy or terrible times during this time but like they're doing great because they just sit at home and look at each other all day uh (laughs) and so i go over there on friday night and then me he doesn't drink but his girlfriend does and me and her will drink and it's a fun time you know like yeah you got to make the best you got to do what you got to do to stay sane yeah absolutely like as much as um generally as humans we try to 
resist change and say no change we're also wildly malleable yeah and very adaptable and this is a thing where i don't know maybe for some people it's like to adapt to this like admit that it's there and then you you know you lose some semblance of con- that illusion of control or some shit who knows yeah but it is what it is like it sucks it fucking sucks but we also are wildly sociable beings and we have to have that yeah and to go without that is we're not that's not how we function and the main people who are online complaining about it were people who weren't that social. People who yeah. stayed at home before. Like, hey, we're going out to a bar tonight. Nah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm in bed. It's 7 o'clock. <laughs> if COVID didn't exist, they'd still be bitching about something else. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. These are people that just like, honestly, they're miserable people who just want everybody else to be miserable so they don't feel miserable. Yep. And they love, like, they love posting statistics. <laughs> it's like, we get it, man. Who are you talking to at this point? Like, oh, oh, wait, oh, wait, so you're saying this is really bad? Oh, no shit, yeah. okay. <laughs> thank it. you for copying and pasting that part from the CNN article, otherwise I wouldn't have known. <laughs> exactly. So thank you so much, yeah. I saw a man remove <laughs> his mask to take a sip of his Gatorade today, and I just looked at him like, you murderer. <laughs> like, Come on, man. Do you like, know how bad it is? Control C, control V, enter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's annoying, we get it, we get it. Yeah, yeah, they probably hate the Clippers, too. Oh, you know they do? They all do. Everybody does, <laughs> except me. Well, thank God you're a Celtics fan now, right? Yeah. So that's good. See us rise. <laughs> well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Dude, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank, Thanks for having me, man. I yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there anything you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? What'd you say? Yeah, I always say that too fast. Is there anything you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Oh, uh, hey, man, let's do the flagrant ones. This guy does. It's great. And then uh, also uh, we got a new thing coming out in the new year. There'll be uh, You can get the whole tier. You can get Hollywood Handbook Pro version. You can get the flagrant ones. You can get some other shit, me and my cousin's podcast. And uh, just follow me on, da- uh, on Instagram at dammitcarl. And that's uh, patreon.com slash the flagrant runs. Yeah. And highly worth it. It's a great show. You don't have to love basketball or anything to love it. It's just great. So, uh, yeah, thank you again. This was awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Please take care. Please lead with empathy. Please wear a mask. And uh, please get off the Clippers' ass already. Come on. (laughs) Thank you again. Bye.